Welcome my name to the show. My name is Danny Gallagher, and I'm joined by the snare campaign provocateur, the hostess with the Moses, the MC <laughs> for the evening. It's Benny Horowitz. What's up, dude? I like that. I like that last minute pivot there. That's good. That's uh, I'm, uh, I'm covered in polyurethane, Denny. Ooh, sexy, sexy. I've been working on today, you know, trying to get these decks ready for the winter. Sexy <laughs> stuff, huh? We, uh, supposed to, would you prefer another Bruno Mars story instead of that? Oh, oh, I would love it. <laughs> no, see, I feel like we did the pod last week. We talked about Roadhouse and then you're like, you know what I got to do? I got to go be a man and build a deck. That's what I got to do. Listen, I got on the phone yesterday with someone who's like, what you been up to this morning? I'm like, you know what? I got to be honest. I chainsawed a fallen branch, sanded out a deck and started polyurethane it. They're like, whoa, they're like, you're doing good today. Oh, like, yeah. But I got to say, I don't think this has anything to do with manliness here in 2021. This is just being a, a resourceful individual and who has a lot of time on their hands when they happen to be home, you know, so got to take care of business. And, uh, you know, in the days of YouTube and, and everything, anybody can do this. You know, a 15 a year old girl can can YouTube had to had to restain a deck and do just fine. You know, this old this old collection of encyclopedic knowledge that uh, I think old white people used to hold in a cell somewhere. It's it's, it's for everyone now. We can all do anything, you know. I love Benny gets on the pod and is like, this has nothing to do with manliness. Meanwhile, he's got the vocal fry. He's talking about building a deck. He's down, out there in the wilderness. <laughs> Look at this guy. I love I it. I mean, what? Do you want, I mean, do you want me to show a little try work? Too? Ooh, go to the ooh <laughs> yes. Right next to Jake Gyllenhaal's ass, which, boy, you know, some days you just get lucky with the timing of what you post on social media. So shout yes. out to Jake. <laughs> shout out to Taylor for, for taking a shot. Another, I mean, borderline creepy relationship, if you think about the age. Huh? Yeah. Maybe that's why. The, you know what? You know what that made me think of? It was when I saw the Billie Eilish documentary. And she had just received word that she she had broken some sort of all-time record for streams online. I think on Spotify. She had like a billion streams, like first in history. And she's told this news and all she can do this keeps scrolling on her phone, waiting for a text from this one shitty dude that she's kind of obsessed with at the time. And I feel like Taylor, if she ran into this relationship like now, she's a woman. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like she's not handling shit like this. She's a boss. But I feel like Gyllenhaal got her when she was still young and confused and had the ability to write 10 minute songs about heartbreak, which I don't think she does anymore, you know? See, you know, I posted about this the other day. I think that this is, I think Hall is collateral damage. I think the real one that she's going after is John Mayer. And here's why. So, oh. so she puts out, so they famously dated, right? He, sure. yeah. uh, he had her sing back up on an album like 10 years ago. Uh -huh. um, but what is the one thing that John Mayer holds close, closer to her, his heart than almost anything? Being part of the guitar. Grateful Dead. Oh. <laughs> so Taylor's like, all right, I'm going to put out a 10-minute song, show uh, people what I can do, make the 10-minute song, come back, boom, next thing you know, next summer, Taylor's the lead singer Dead & Company. Wow. You think so? That's a great pivot for Taylor Swift, <laughs> yeah. too. I kind of love that in general. I'm all for this. That's a good theory, Danny. 
And it's a great tease to something coming up a little bit later. We got exciting news out of Hollywood again. This is just becoming the Hollywood Music Podcast, and I'm here do for it. it. Let's do it. But you know what we have to do, Benny? Um, No. Right fucking now. You know what we have to do? <laughs> what is it? <laughs> we have to give the people what they want. It's this day music history. Oh. <laughs> do, 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 do. So, this is a great one. A funny little anecdote that I had never known before. This is why I love doing this show. In 1994, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, might have heard of them, plays on Saturday Night Live, You Don't Know How It Feels, and Honey Bee, with Dave Grohl on drums, who afterwards considers joining the Heartbreakers full-time. So, this is fascinating because in, what, I think early October of 94 Stan Lynch was famously fired from the heartbreakers for a variety of different reasons, but mostly Tom going off and doing solo and Wilbury's records without talking to the band and, you know, jealousy and a long time thing. Like who knows? I wasn't there. So Petty calls Dave Grohl to come fill in for the Saturday night live gig. Apparently it was the first time, uh, Dave Grohl looked forward to playing the drums since Nirvana. So it was like a big thing to him. Uh, The performance goes well. And uh, Dave Grohl considers joining the band full time. That's how well it went. So in 1994, they were pretty close to him joining the Heartbreakers. And guess what happened? Tom Petty said no. Tom Petty denied his entrance into the Heartbreakers. Not, of course, because he wasn't good enough or couldn't handle it, but... You know, in quotes, this was Tom Petty's quote about it. He said, we're an older bunch of guys, and I thought he would be happier doing his own thing with this great talent that he wasn't using and with this great opportunity. Not that I wouldn't have hired him in a second. It was discussed, and I know he had thought about it. So this is what I wonder here. Did this, like, weird uh, sort of music industry wisdom of Tom Petty being like, listen, man, I know I'm Tom Petty. You could come play drums for me, but it's a drummer. You got this opportunity to go be the thing, like go be the thing, you know? And he probably knew how special it was and, and, and released him, wouldn't let him do it. And then he goes ahead and starts one of the biggest rock and roll bands of the last like 30 years, you know? So, or this is, I'll AB this for you. Was Tom Petty doing that for him? Or was Dave Grohl just a little too much? And Petty's like, no, 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 no. Like, this is Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, not Tom Petty, this other guy in the Heartbreakers. Like, you're too big for my thing, and I want to run the show. Like, what do you, where did that come from? What do you think? Grohl doesn't strike me ever to be the guy that was too much. He kind of seemed was like the steady hand in Nirvana, right? So, mm-hmm. which is why he could go to the corporate thing that, that is the Heartbreakers. I I think this all had to do with uh, I think it's it's more Dave letting Tom save face because you don't want to embarrass your heroes. Be like he invited oh. us to join the band and Dave's like, no, I want to go do Foo Fighters instead. Wow, so you're putting Dave in the position of power here. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but you know, obviously the job, you know, Dave Grohl turns to town, goes to Steve Ferrone, who is great and who is you know, the drummer for the Heartbreakers from until the end of the Heartbreakers. So 
uh, you know, obviously a good decision Wor- worked out just fine. Um, but, but really interesting. Never knew about that. Well, I'm going to have to pivot for my This Day Music History because that's exactly what I chose, too, because that, <laughs> the, the, the heartbreaker, the Tom Petty performance of Honeybee is like one of the all-time SNL performances. You know, we yeah, brought Taylor Swift before. People were like, oh, my God, this is so iconic. Be like, do yourself a favor. Go watch Tom Petty, Honeybee, SNL on yeah. YouTube. Life-changing. Well, I wish you would have told me. I had a Music History B Ooh, today. Well, I've got a good but- B1 as well. Is it about Millie Vanilli? No, it's not. But it's, it's well, a- for anyone interested, real quick, <laughs> there's a story behind Millie Vanilli getting their Grammy pulled that I thought was going to be fun for this show, but it winds up kind of sad. Oh. So if you're into it, dig in on your own, you know? Ooh, future digital exclusive on YouTube. Anyway, <laughs> Benny, on this day in 2002, Eminem hits number one on the Hot 100 for the first time with Lose Yourself from 8 Mile. A a song that is is strange with people my age because at the time it comes out you're like whoa this is massive this is Eminem this is a movie this is like a almost a validation of hip hop and then by the time I, I get to high school it's like they're playing it at Friday night football games and they're not bleeping out anything <laughs> right so it's like it's like a strange thing in hindsight to look back on that this was like such a huge like like mom spaghetti is like is like a joke now well yeah i mean that line kind of should be mom spaghetti i that's a fascinating fascinating cultural moment i think in a lot of ways and in the long term i do think there's going to be some like bizarre segue or fork in the road between race and music and that song getting so big because the one thing i always think about is like you're watching the end of that movie right and it's like the scummy white kid with his one scummy white friend basically winning over a room of like a thousand like real like detroit people you know what i mean like which is kind of like every little white boy's like wet dream fantasy. You know what I mean? (laughs) I'm going to get a thousand black people to love me, which is like this like wet dream that like all these like little white kids probably have. And then it actually manifests in this movie. But as time goes on, I wonder like who were the bedfellows who actually like appreciate that scene and what does it represent to them in a lot of weird ways. And I bet, you know, Eminem was just telling his story, but by default, telling that story and making it all Hollywood, he probably wound up with some fucking strange bedfellows he wouldn't really want in the process. So I do think that song is a bizarre intersection of like race and music and culture that we can actually look at in the future, you know? Benny, just come out and say it. You're blaming Eminem for the Capitol insurrection. Just say it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, listen. I'll say it in the same way like the Woodstock 99 <laughs> documentary, just like beat around it. There, There is part of like a, you know, culture doesn't shift in a day and it's not one moment, you know, uh, the shooting of uh, Arch, Archbishop Ferdinand didn't definitely start World War One. Like a lot of different shit happens that goes around, but we choose the little points in it. And this Eminem thing might be one of those points. So yeah, he might be... <laughs> The Ferdinand of <laughs> of the Capitol riots. 
we're approaching the weekend. It's time to wind down a little bit. Let's get to these headlines in a segment we're calling, allegedly, for now, The Score? The Score? Does that work? Music, headlines, the score, the ticker. I don't know. <laughs> I like it. I like it. This is the first time hearing about it. I like it. All right. Well, nothing changes. You know, we're trying to keep it easy, relaxed, ease, your, ease you into your weekend. So without any further ado, let's get to what we do best. Let's get into some of these stories, shall we? Oh, please. All right. First up, you know, last week we talked about Roadhouse, movies. Y'all loved it. And turns out the internet just keeps churning out these stories of potential cross-section stories for us to talk about. Anyway, enough beating around the bush. Let's get into the actual meat and potatoes. Jonah Hill, that's right, is set to play Jerry Garcia in a feature about the Grateful Dead from Martin Scorsese. Incredible. Uh, Scorsese uh, was an executive producer on uh, on the Grateful Dead doc in 2017, Long Strange Trip. Um, and a big thing for this, because there have been other attempts to tell the Grateful Dead story, Apple has acquired the rights to use the Grateful Dead music in the film. Huge. Because, big. you know, we, we've Very talked big. about that with uh, the prior versions of Bohemian Rhapsody, um, mm-hmm. and the version that got approved had the music big hit. Anyway, Benny, a lot here, but I got to start off with this. Do you think Marty Scorsese is a deadhead? It would appear that way. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. It would appear that way. He's not going to take this on if he has, like, no love for the band, their story, their music over time. Like, that's what Scorsese does. He takes something he's into and digs in, you know? Uh, You know, the one interesting thing part uh, about this is, like, the Grateful Dead to so many people, myself included, are so much more the narrative than the music. You know, uh, I'd say you could take, you could go to a mall, right? And find a dozen people with a tie-dye shirt and be like, name me 10 Grateful Dead songs. I'm going zero out of 10 who are going to be able to do that. Like, you actually have to be a dead head to really know their songs. They didn't have hits. They didn't have mainstream breakthroughs. You might know, like, uh, you know, you know, Casey Jones driving that train and like some of the bigger little tags they had, but that that's about it. So that being said, I don't even think Scorsese has to be a huge fan of the music to really appreciate the story because the story is so cool. And that's what I'm really interested in. I mean, the Jonah Hill casting would allude to me that they would be able to cover the sixties. You know, they'd be able to transform Jonah Hill enough into a young to a semi old Jerry Garcia to be able to tell the, you know, the story of the 60s and, you know, their story of coming up in the Bay Area. Literally, their first real show as the Grateful Dead was at one of Ken Kesey's acid trip parties (laughs) like their tie in to that world and that music is intrinsic. So, you know, you can tell that story. You can spend an hour about the just them in the bay the, itself and getting out of the bay and then you know the whole thing on top of it with the the record sharing the music sharing the um you know the touring of the band and then you know if people look into the story of the dead jerry garcia did not have an easy run through the years the guy almost died a couple times he had all these health scares the band would start the band would stop so it, it's a dramatic story 
with a million ins and outs. I think obviously Scorsese can handle the job, I feel. <laughs> and uh, the Jonah Hill casting to me is a good indication that they're going to do the young stuff, which is kind of what I'm really interested in. So I'm pretty excited for it. Yeah, the, you know, the, the things that Jonah Hill is doing is kind of this chapter of his career, you know, he, he breaks in with these uh, Judd Apatow pictures that yeah. kind of uh, uh, with almost, he, he almost reinvents the stoner movie, right? And now he's kind of, uh, he's kind of elevated the art form as that narrative uh, politically, socially, as that's more accepted. You know, he's doing these, you know, um, he's doing these projects, you know, he goes from the, the, the Wolf of Wall Street was huge, kind of in, in that kind of role. Moneyball. Moneyball, and then I believe he directs mid-90s, which didn't right. get enough critical acclaim. And now this, so this kind of pivot, this maturation of his work, it's it's a kind of a acting arc that we haven't really seen. Someone kind of pivot from that to these roles that are just like, uh, almost kind of defining for the era of acting that he's in. I think I'm super excited for this. I got, I got, I, there's one parallel I can see. Who? And it might be like a Tom Hanks in the 80s, you know, like Tom Hanks comes up, he's, he's bosom buddies, he's big, he's Joe versus the volcano, uh, the money pit, you know, all mm. comedy. And then starts taking like, you know, uh, certain roles that would allude to the fact that he could be more serious. And then before you know it, you have this run of like a league of their own, Philadelphia, Forrest Gump, and this guy is just like the actor's actor, you know? So who knows, maybe Jan Jonah Hill, I, I'm not gonna say he's got Philadelphia and Forrest Gump coming up in his pocket. <laughs> That's a little much to say, mm. but perhaps he could follow the same arc. And someone, you know, one of my favorites of all time, like I love Will Ferrell. Yeah, it's one of the great comic actors there ever was. And I got to be honest, I, I'm watching this show on Apple Plus. He's got about the shrink. Watch this. I never buy him when he goes straight, man. Hmm. I just don't. I can't. There's something about it. I just see him. I keep waiting for him to crack and it just doesn't. <laughs> so it's a it's a tough road. It's not an easy thing to do. I But he's a talented guy. I hope he can pull it off. Actually, you brought up Tom Hanks. I'm going to think of somebody also kind of from that era maybe he's not as bombastic in the comedy but this this kind of feels like a uh robin williams in the 90s with like you know mm -hmm. all of these serious roles that he does i mean arguably you could make the case that robin williams best roles were his serious ones and like but my brother fucked me up years ago goodwill hunting is one of our favorite movies yeah. of all time we watch it all the time we quote it all the time I'm on the phone with him one day. He goes, do me a favor. Just really pay attention to Robin Williams' Boston accent. Oh, and then no, I did. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't it's do not this. Good. Come on. It's not good. Come on. I'm sorry. It's Come not on. good. <laughs> sorry, this... listeners. Oh. I was about to run through One Hour Photo, which is one of the freakiest great movies movie. you'll ever yeah, see. Weird fucking movie. You know what's a other great one that's on Netflix currently that we watched the other day? Uh, him and Robert De Niro in Awakenings. What a oh, what a great movie. Oh man, so. But good. that's when Robin Williams just did that stretch of movies that are like the biggest fucking bummers. <laughs> oh like, yeah, ever. You know, like oh, Patch Adams. This is fun. Oh, I get to watch kids die for an hour. Oh, Awakenings. Everyone woke up. This is fun. And then oh, they wait. don't. Yeah. They all go back to sleep. <laughs> 
oh wait what's this one? Oh, you're dead you're walking through the afterlife looking for your wife like jesus christ he took that guy if you look at the content of his roles you could tell that there was something more going yeah. on there during all those years you know yeah we miss him we miss him all right well and something completely unrelated but also kind of related at the same time Baywatch? we have watch we have another picture we got another picture to talk about here benny another picture um so i don't even know where to start with this but we <laughs> have a project that is music adjacent the project oh, yeah. is pam and tommy and you guessed it, it is about that infamous sex tape, how it was released. Um, the Pamela Anderson, um, Tommy Lee mixtape, uh, mixtape, wow. Imagine <laughs> that, that would have been something. Kinda, kinda, um, highlight reel. Sex tape. But uh, there's there's a lot to be made about this. Apparently it was released by uh, people that were working on the house that were disgruntled, found this sex tape in private, released it, put it on the internet. Um, the, the thing that shocked me about this is like, the cast is crazy. The cast is like crazy yeah. talented. Um, they got Nick Offerman in here, which I love when Nick Offerman plays, plays these like darker characters because yeah. in, in, in reality, I think that's his like calling card. Um, but what do you make of this project coming to Hulu February 2nd, 2022, uh, Pamela Anderson, Tommy Lee, Pam and Tommy, your thoughts. Well, first off, I think it's, I mean, it's like my first reaction when I saw this was like, oh no, like Pam, Tommy, like it was cheesy back then. Like their marriage was cheesy. The tape was cheesy. They're kind of cheesy. It's never been like, oh, this like authentically cool thing. Like to me, they were always on the cheesy fringes of rock and roll culture. Right. But I, you know, so I go into watching this trailer with kind of a negative vibe, but I lived through this and I really had zero idea about how this tape came to be. I didn't know it was this like sinister plot and a break in and a, you know, like somebody really like went to great lengths, you know, beyond, um, you know, uh, hacking into a computer or something like what happened these days. Like, we're talking hard videos, hard, hard stuff, which is like these days an anomaly to people. So that part of it, I find really interesting. I mean, obviously automatically intrigue with Seth Rogen and Nick Offerman playing these characters. I think that's cool, but you know, I didn't think much of it. And then I brought this up to my wife and her first reaction was, oh yeah, that's like, that's really big. That's like a really important thing in like culture. And I'm like, you know, why is that? And in her estimation, she may be right. This was kind of the first of its kind. And, uh, you know, like this was, you know, sort of started the, you know, a, a next level of what's private, what's decent, what's legal and what's illegal. I mean, I think, I think the people who did this could like be charged and arrested for what they did now. And they couldn't then because of the things that have changed over the years about people's, uh, you know, rights to privacy in this arena, which obviously because of the video age and the technological age are being brought to like a whole nother level, uh, and have been brought to a whole nother level. I mean, how many fucking famous sex tapes have come after mm. this? Like, 
tons. This was the one. This was like the big one. And to people who are younger than me, you know, or, or yourself being included, you need to remember who Pam Anderson was at the time. This was like this was like the TV vixen starlet that every teenage boy was lusting after. You know what I mean? So the idea that Pam Anderson had a sex tape was like a very big deal too. It was like, you know, taking the person every little boy wanted to see at that time. And then, you know, the added thing with Tommy Lee, just in his kind of scummy persona and everything. I don't know. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. And I think it's going to kind of looking at it through the modern lens of where like revenge porn is like now a crime, right, right. like you said, it may not have been like a, a direct lover that released it, but you know, somebody had dirt and they put it out there. But then on the other hand, you know, because if they do it like, uh, you know, like one of these Ryan Murphy, like American crime story things, right. then I think it's going to be interesting. But if it, if it tries to glam them up too much, right? I think that we could be in some some dangerous water here because it's like uh, there there's a line in the trailer and you can check that out on YouTube where Tommy Lee goes whoa whoa we're both in the movie and um, Pam goes yeah but you're not in the movie like I'm in the movie and uh, just kind of uh, the difference in how we look at all of that stuff now as compared to then pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think that's an important distinction about the video. I'm almost glad they put it in the trailer because I don't think in any way Tommy Lee, you know, the way that guy was, the, the male perspective on somebody like that, I don't think he suffered from that video. He probably, like, it probably helped mm. his career a great deal, the fact that that video came out. Because what, like what does Pam Anderson get called after a video yeah. that comes out like that famously? What does Tommy Lee get called? Oh, he's got a big cock and he's fucking Pam Anderson. Whoa, good for Tommy Lee. You know, so there's like just a whole different perspective. And, and I'm glad they actually noted that on the YouTube, you know? This is exactly what I wanted to get out of this segment. I love it. But we got Tommy's got a big one. We, I'm glad. I'm glad that we put that on How wax. Fit in those leather speedos, oh. flipping upside down at those Molly Crew shows. You know. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. I must love have it. taped that bad boy down, huh? <laughs> I gotta say though, in all my years, I've been asked this question before, and it's true. I've never gotten a boner on stage. Never. Well, 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 I think the good. blood is just going all different parts. It's got nothing to do with there when you're playing, you know? Is that like, does that happen to people? <laughs> like, like, like well, I famously I don't mean, know I any just, of these stories. Listen, I could be sitting here talking to you, <laughs> and if I got to pee real bad, I'm going to get a boner. <laughs> it's just never happened on stage. I think just because blood is going to different places. I sit up there for two hours. Sometimes I really got to pee. Oh, and sometimes you just got to let it all hang out. You got to let it all flow out. Oh my goodness gracious, Benny. We have, we have run down a cul-de-sac and you know what? Sometimes Benny, I think you just got to slow it down a little bit. I think you famously, ooh, ooh, that's a little louder than I wanted it to be. Coming in hot, but you want to know something? I do. We're gonna, you know, this is the portion of the program where, you know, we like to breathe in, breathe out, maybe grab ourselves a nice drink. And uh, 
Head on over to the sporting world because this week people have been acting a fool. People have been really acting a fool mm -hmm. in the sports media. They're getting hot. They're getting bothered. They're making bad decisions. This Please. is a new segment on the Tune Up, and welcome to it. Glad you can join us. Called Keep Sports Talk Sexy. Please. Because you want to know something? It down, you ragamuffins. You want? We got Stephen A. all up in our ear yelling uh. about. The security at Barclays Center. We got boss, co-worker, Mad Dog Chris Russo blowing a gasket. This is a time <laughs> to relax, enjoy. We got our Dan Levitards down in South Beach freaking out about politics, freaking out about every which way. This is the anti of all that. We got a couple stories here to get you in the mood for your sporting weekend, shall we? Shall we get <laughs> to it, Benny? All right. Please. Too. All right. Should Good I? Thing I wore I wore some <laughs> sexy underwears today. You got your uh, you, you got your Tommy Lee situation going on over there. Silk Sonic <laughs> records out. You know I'm I'm decked out in silk. Oh, by the way, I'm gonna just undo one button for this segment. Really make the <laughs> feel happen. You, you know. There you go. Oh, there and, you and go. that's that's some theater of the mind right there. All right. First headline today in the sports category. This actually make make me very relaxed. Very oh, Danny, relaxed. Danny, where's the first headline? Over there. Over there, the gun show at the beach. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. Benny, what do you know about cryptocurrencies? Eh, very little. Well, well, they're coming to L.A. in a big way. Staples Center in Los Angeles is getting a new name for Christmas. Crypto.com mm -hmm. Arena. The downtown Los Angeles venue, home of the Lakers, Clippers, Kings, and Sparks, uh, will wear the new name for a, un, for 20 years on a deal that comes up close to $700 million. A little about Crypto.com. They are a Singapore company, a cryptocurrency exchange, um, but big deal for the Lakers, for the venue, $700 million. But a lot of people are mad about this. This is the end of an era in Los Angeles. Kobe played at Staples. It's known as not even Staples Center. People are like, I'm just going to Staples. Like, they're going to pick up some office supplies. Yeah, exactly. So, Benny, in the spirit of this segment, people are mad. People are mad about Staples Center going bye-bye. Crypto.com coming in. Benny, keep it sexy. This, this is so easy to keep sexy, and I'll tell you why. It's called the fucking Staples Center. Mm. You know what I mean? Like... It's the people sitting here going, oh, crypto.com. What is this? I hate websites. I hate crypto. I hate new things. I hate things I don't like. You've been going to a place that was named after an office supply store in the mid 90s. You know, we're not at Wrigley Field here. We're not, you know, we're, we're not at uh, Fenway Park. They renamed this in the 1990s after an office supply fucking store. Okay, it could be called the Office Max Arena. So everybody, please relax. Naming rights go away. And literally when you start burning down flags about things like the Staples Center, you know, what a corporate shill you are. So keep it sexy, relax. It's just the name of your stadium. It's in the same place. They're not changing the things. You still got your banners in the ceiling. You know, keep it sexy. Going down to Crypto Arena. You know, I feel Crypto Arena, maybe it can reprise some of that forum energy, forum club, the Crypto Club 
at the crypto.com arena sounds like just like a fun place to be sounds like rob lowe will be doing lines like it's the 80s all over again i definitely the crypto club if it's not a killer rave i don't know <laughs> i don't know where to go not much of this music because it doesn't exactly match the energy but that's okay you know <laughs> i was uh when i first read this I, i'm like say it's not so but then i kind of took a step back and was like do you realize that like most franchises aren't even worth 700 million dollars and the <laughs> lakers lakers clippers all of them got that to name their arena that's genius it, it's a great business move listen the lakers are no strangers to moving they moved from the forum people were upset when they moved to staples center um and this is just the next evolution crypto.com you don't even have to go anywhere it's just it's just a new name it's like it's like painting a house a different color it's right. still the same place you grew up just maybe with some better drinks now that there's 700 million dollars worth of investment uh, you know just bear in mind there's a stadium in this same league called the smoothie king arena mm. you know like who cares we're gonna talk about caring not caring heartbreak rejection the triumphs if you will of sport all that wide world of sports nonsense we're going to talk about Major League Baseball here. And I know mm -hmm. some of our fan base is going to be like, where you been? We crowned a champion. Well, we only come to talk when uh, things are interesting for MLB. MLB announced their end-of-season awards. The National League Cy Young was one of the tightest contested races among the postseason awards. Uh, ended up going the Brewers right-hander, Cor uh, Corbin Burns. Uh, Bernays. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you, there, there's such a French influence in Milwaukee. You could have me, but not today because we're keeping it sexy. But it turns out this did not, you know, all of the other awards do a big award ceremony at the end where people show up in their leather, they show up in their pleather, and they do the damn thing. They hand out some hardware. Major League Baseball, not so much. It was done in a, in a conference room in Secaucus, New Jersey. It seems like people are having a hard time caring about this. Benny. I'm going to lay it up to you like this. Baseball fans may care about it. Other fans are, are uh, letting this one go by the wayside. So, uh, Benny, keep this sexy. Does MLB still have a caring problem? Like, I don't even want to say a thousand percent. I want to say like 10,000 percent. And I'll tell you why. Because you're, you're talking here about pandering to the non-baseball fan. Like, like, can I get a non-basketball fan to care about the MVP. Can I get uh, a non-football fan to care about that, uh, to care about the Super Bowl? You know, can I get those? Like, yeah, you can, because you have like a product that brings people in and the narrative gets people interested. Denny, I'm a baseball fan. Mm, believe it I'm or not. I'm not only a baseball fan, I'm a big baseball fan. We don't talk about it much on this podcast because me and seven other people in the world are big baseball fans. But I am a massive baseball fan. I follow it night to night. I know everything that's going on. I know the players. I play fantasy. And did I give a fuck about Corbin Burness versus Zach Wheeler for the NL Cy Young this year? No, I did not. Hmm. Did I care about Robbie Ray for the Jays, like somehow pulling off a Cy Young season in the AL? No, I did not. And even though I do think both of these people deserve the award, you know, in the context of the award, 
Robbie Ray and Corbin Bernays uh, earn this award and they deserve it. But I don't care. And I am a massive baseball fan. <laughs> so that's the thing that's really sad and scary about it is like, uh, I don't know how you put more into these awards and get, like you said, I mean, maybe put these guys in a fucking suit and throw them on TV every once in a while, maybe something like that, you know, because I, as we said, I look at the picture of Corbin Bernays, who I've even seen pitch this year. And I'm like, what's this guy look like? I'm like, I don't know. He looks like Noah Syndic. He looks like every single other one. He's a big white guy with long hair, an unkempt beard who doesn't fucking smile or show emotion when he does anything. <laughs> you know, it's like the most plain thing. So, so it's true. Like the number one pitcher for the Brewers could be anyone and no one cares and no one cares outside the Milwaukee. What exactly baseball does about this? I don't know. I'm not a businessman. I'm not a marketing person, but to answer your question, is there a problem? Yeah, there's a big fucking problem for sure. See, now I'm, I'm actually not sure. And, you know, I'm just kind of playing into my own ignorance with this. I don't know if it's Burns or Bernays. Is it really Bernays? <laughs> no, no, it's Burns. I'm just fucking. <laughs> <laughs> like you said it enough with conviction that I, know, I was like, I oh, know, maybe, know, know. maybe. This is what I do. This is what I do. It's like, see, and that just goes to show, like, these, these baseball players, I mean, yeah. just are not He's interesting. He's the best pitcher this year. You didn't even know how to say his last name. He played in a market that I love for, for a team that exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm fondness of. And it's like, We're not dealing with like an Antetokounmpo here. Right. Like, you just didn't know. And that's like the thing. It's like I, like I can know like the second guy off the bench in Oklahoma City. Why? Right. Because occasionally he'll make House of Highlights. He'll be all over my Instagram. He'll be all over my TikTok. Uh, if you show a, a pitcher... You're not going to keep my interest more than five seconds with showing a highlight reel of him striking out batters because it's the same thing over and, and over again. So it's an inherent flaw of the sport. It's just not for for the, the internet. You know what's for the internet? Dingers. Bat flips. That's what people want to see. None of this, uh, like, shutout innings bullshit. No. Mm-mm. I have a great idea for baseball. Just popped in my head. Yeah. Do I save it or do you want it now? Oh, you know, why not? You got nothing but time. So everyone's obsessed with analytics and stats, right? Yeah. If you're trying to garner interest in pitching, how about a much more analytically driven TV model for pitching where you put the box and not only you're showing the pitch, you're showing the speed, you show the spin rate, you show where it starts from the hand to where it lands. And then you measure the break and you go, that's the biggest break we've seen today. That guy has a four inch break. And then, oh, can this guy come in and throw a 4.1 inch break? That's the kind of nerdy shit, analytical shit that maybe we're gonna have to start doing to really garner people's interest. But I think watching TV on baseball should now look like a fucking flight simulator, okay? <laughs> Should barely be able to see the sport. Everybody cares when size matters. <laughs> All right, moving on, moving back inside. You know, we've been outside. We got our sunlight. Let's move back inside to the hardwood. Benny, you took in a uh, a, a Chef Curry masterpiece the other night oh. in Brooklyn. You at, at Barclays Center. Uh, the Warriors now 12-2, and two, looking like a top defensive team. Steph got MVP chance in Barclays Center. Draymond looking like he's yeah. trying to get that defensive player of the year again. 
Um, the young guys looking nice. Um, and it's looking like Golden State has the pieces from top to bottom to really make this happen. I called it last week. I was very excited about this. By yeah. Christmas, we're going to be talking about the Warriors championship aspirations, especially with Clay getting back in the fold. Um, Warriors just on a complete tear here. So are you ready to put up some cheddar right now? Are the Golden State Warriors your favorite to go to the uh, to win the championship as we speak? No. No, they're not because it's too early to do that. It's way too early. And I've already, so already in the last couple of weeks, I've had a, a change of heart about the Warriors. I, um, when we started the season, I was like, okay, Curry's healthy. They're winning games, but this is, feels a little fluky to me. You know what I mean? I'm looking at the whole lineup. I'm, I'm imagining Dre a year older you know, and, and everything Iggy a year older. And I'm like, nah, I don't really believe it. Okay. They start playing so well. I'm like, I'm believing it more. And then I saw it live. And the thing you forget about the Warriors sometimes, especially watching on TV is how they play basketball and the way the two man game of Steph and Draymond and the things you you watch when you're not watching highlights, when you're watching those two get the ball up the floor, start the high screen, and start making space for each other, it's artistry. And it's really a beautiful thing to watch. And it's special. And I don't think that's going anywhere. And the fact that they can run that two-man game and potentially have one of the top three greatest shooters in the history of basketball popping back. That's pretty nice. Last year's number two pick coming back. That's pretty nice. I think they're desperately hoping he can slip in and take Kevon Looney's minutes. Um, so do I think that they're excellent? Do I think that I'm a believer now? Yeah, I do. Like I believe the Warriors are here again. They're back. Curry has reminded everybody who he is top four player in the NBA hands down. You can't even, you know, debate it and they're there. They're going to be there. But to say that they're uh, through 80 games going to make it past, you know, a Lakers team, I think is going to regel some of the other top teams in the West uh, getting some pieces back. No, I don't think this is a walk away and I'm not willing to, to dub them title favorites yet, but I am impressed. I loved watching it cook live. I got to admit, there's a couple towards the end of the game, you know, somewhere in the middle of the third quarter. I'm like, okay, this game is the Nets have never been close this game, even though the score is kind of close. The Nets were a step behind the Warriors the entire game. So by the middle of the third quarter, I'm like, the Nets do not stand a chance. Nash agreed with me because he pulled the starters by like eight minutes, even though they were still within striking distance. And even towards the end, I'm watching Curry do some stuff, and I'm like, you know what? Mm. I love watching it, baby. I love watching the chef cook. He's so good. It's so much fun, and he just got the better of the Nets this one, you know? Um, so I love it, but no, I don't think they're the favorites now. Benny, I got a follow-up question for you. What do you and Steph Curry have in common? Oh, nice guys? <laughs> you both keep it sexy. That's right. Oh, that I'm, is I'm, I'm Sticking with my prediction here. I got to be I think Steph Curry's had sex like three times in his life. <laughs> Only for procreation. Like, listen, that is that is one of the most 
Stop. innocent vanilla people in the league okay so Man. he's a great guy but i don't think steph keeps it that sexy i gotta be honest come on was it the deal with under armor come on <laughs> or was it the fact that his wife has a cooking thing come on come on. I, I think he's had sex about half a dozen times for procreation oh man <laughs> steph's one of those guys who's like i only have sex when I win a championship. So he hasn't had yeah, in a few yeah. years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why his shot's so good. He's motivated. Right. He's like, oh, I got to get this. Yeah. Oh, man. All right. Well, let's turn our attention now to your nets, shall we? Benny, Please. That, that was tough to watch the other night. Uh, James Harden still a shell of himself. Getting back closer to where yeah. he was. KD, hands down, if the season ended tomorrow, he's your MVP. Um, but a, a tough stretch here. They're really missing that guy. We're not going to talk about because he doesn't deserve to be mentioned. So, Benny, Nets following that that Warriors loss, keep it sexy. I, I mean, like I, the one thing I would contest, and the thing that's kind of surprising me about the whole conversation is there was one game that they lost to an exceptionally good team, and everyone's saying, "Oh, the wheels have fallen off the net." What? I'm sorry, the Nets are 11 and five, tied for first in the East. Eight and two over their last 10 games. So, no, I don't think this Warriors game, like, took the wheels off the nets in any way. Um, I do think, you know, the same concerns we had last week are the same concerns now. And one thing that becomes abundantly clear when you're watching the Warriors is the nets lack of depth. You know, like, uh, you watch the Warriors start to turn to guys like Andre Iguodala and, you know, Bielitsa and... Otto Porter and some real functional guys off the bench in the Nets, you know, in its current standing with Joe Harris hurt, Nick Claxton hurt, Kyrie not playing, any number of things. Like, it's thin. It's thin right now. And, uh, you know, in a tough stretch of a game, when you're on the bench and you're heavily relying on, uh, you know, James Johnson for minutes and LaMarcus Aldridge for points and any number of things, it's when they run into the good teams right now, it's it's going to be a press. And I think the Nets are going to have a very good regular season. I'm really not worried about it. But the one big question you have to wonder when they really start running into these big teams is, can they get through the grinding playoff series that they're going to wind up in trying to get to a championship without Kyrie Irving? And that's a fair question because there are times – you know, the Nets are just ISOing KD, ISOing Harden, letting them cook. There's not a lot of team chemistry. They're not moving the ball. It's not like beautiful basketball in that way. So the idea that you could see them being very limited in a long series, especially, um, you know, uh, if anything, God forbid, happened to either KD or Harden, it could be an issue. Um, but I don't think... Uh, I'm I'm willing to sit here saying the wheels fell off and what's wrong with the Nets after one game. Um, as you say, Durant is playing at a very high level, MVP level. Harden's working his way back. Guys averaging nine assists a game. He's uh, shooting forty percent from three. Like I think um, Harden's okay, and uh, yeah, and we'll we'll see how the rest pans out. But um, no, I don't I don't think the 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 van's falling off the mountain quite yet, you know? Depth is so key this year. I mean, you look at the teams off to the hot start. Uh, you, you look at Washington. They got a bunch of guys. 
Uh, the Warriors that we just talked about, a lot of depth. The Suns rounding in the form. Uh, you know, the teams that are really making it happen uh, right now, they're deep, no pun intended. But they got a lot of guys on the bench that can make it happen for them. Uh, the Bucks are starting to show their depth and stuff like that. Listen, I do. Uh, I am a believer that the Nets are going to figure this thing out. Um, but I'm very interested to see what the Nets are going to do at the trade deadline yeah. because yeah. some guys got to go. Blake Griffin, love you. Love the Kia commercials. Blake's got to go. Um, he, not- he doesn't have to go. He has to go as like our starting five who they're relying on for 30 minutes a game. Like, I'd love him on the team. I just don't want him with that much responsibility. <laughs> yeah, no. And I mean, listen, I'm not sure what kind of deals to be made. There's still, I, I can't believe that we're almost at Thanksgiving yeah. in this season. And a lot of these dominoes that we thought were going to fall haven't fallen yet. So maybe they're just not going to fall this year. Um, but I find that very hard, hard to believe. But uh, listen, I think the Nets are, are going to be fine. I don't think that they're like by no stretch of the imagination. Are they a playing tournament team? I, I think, you know, everything balances out, though. The first 20 games is always kind of an indicator of what your team's going to be. Um, it's kind of where you find the equilibrium. Uh, but yeah, the Nets are, are going to be fine. I, I think um really like some pieces that, that, that showed themselves at the end of that Warriors game. Yeah, there, there's talent there. It's just about molding it. All right, plenty of ways to get in contact with the show. You can email us at the tuneuppodcast at gmail.com. Two P's in there. If you, if you want to follow us on all the social platforms, we're at the Tuneup HQ on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. Be sure to comment, review, help help the cream rise up to the crop. If you want to follow the big man, he is at Benny Horowitz one number one in your mind, number one in your heart, number one on Twitter. I am at Denny underscore Gallagher. Benny, you got anything else? I, I mean, I'm wondering. We, you know, we're in a Tommy Lee and Pam talk, and I'm thinking about buying some leather speedos on Amazon. So, you know, let's a b this question. What do you think, fans of the show? Should I start packing the slum and some? Some leather Speedos? Look at you selling Mercy Union tickets right <laughs> before the holidays. The show has ended. Go on, peace. You've been listening to The Tune-Up. <laughs>